Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you now. We worship you. We honor you. And Jesus, we just want to glorify your name. Come and say whatever it is you want to say here this morning, Lord. Use me to, to, to get across whatever it is you want us to, to hear this morning. But Lord, I just pray that anything that's of me, anything that's of man just falls away, but your word stays strong in our hearts and grows into the things that you want to grow. In your beautiful name we pray. Amen. All right. I started writing a sermon for this week a little bit differently than I normally do. And um, I started writing and God just started downloading things to me. And it's things that I think we've talked about before, but it's something that I really feel that as a people, if we can start to understand what it is God's saying in this, if we can start to understand what what some scholars call the, the garden mandate, what started in the Garden of Eden, what God had given us as a people to actually outwork, that when we come together, when we come into these places of, of worship, when we come into these places of hearing the word and praying together, that we actually can, can begin to realize what it is where they're doing. I've heard people, and people have said to me, you know, it's not as easy for me to pray like you do. Things don't come to my mind like they do when, when, when you pray. Or um, I can't worship like you do because songs don't come to mind like they do for you. You know all these songs and, and I don't know them. And what I think happens with that, aside from me saying we'll go and, and learn them, apart from that, my thought is, but we don't need these eloquent songs or these elegant prayers all these things that, that we feel have to be said. Yes, you know, I pray with guys. I'm like, man, when that guy prays, it's like fire just coming out. He quotes scripture and he links. It's like many sermons. He's just like firing it off. But God doesn't need us to do that. That doesn't mean that if you do that, it's bad. But what it means is as simple as just coming and saying, Lord, you are good. God, you are glorious. Like when we start to pray and we go, well, words don't come to mind. Use the same word. Go to Revelation and look at that verse that says, Holy, 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 are you Lord God Almighty. If you just repeat that phrase in an hour's worth of prayer sessions, I promise you, you will come out of that place feeling absolutely incredible. Just that simple phrase. Say it every three minutes. Have a timer on your phone that bings and then, and then, and then learn that saying and understand what it is and, and speak it from your heart. That's prayer. That's worship. It's not this fancy big thing, but at the same time, I want to be knowing who you are, God, and spending more time with you so when I do get in those places, those words come to mind. Those things come to me and they flow out of my heart. It's a flow from a place of our heart that allows us to worship and glorify his name. When we actually get to know who he is, it becomes easier and easier and easier to speak of the goodness of who he is. So I want to go back to the garden and explain something that took place in the garden that allows us to worship in, in his goodness. So we all know the story. Genesis, if you've got a Bible and you want to go there, I'm going to start in Genesis 2. God creates a garden. He creates this beautiful place. He creates all the things, all the living creatures in it. But you have to understand that the Garden of Eden wasn't the entire world. It was a, a, a plot of land on the world. And what it says in the beginning in, in Genesis 1 or 2 is that from Eden flowed these rivers out of the garden. So the rivers flowed out into all the world. But it was what was taking place on the inside, what Adam and Eve have been, had been given to tend and look after, that would then expand out into all the land. Do you understand? So it started as a small place. Beauty, glory, the majesty of God. 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit operating in the garden, but it wasn't, there was a heavenly and then there was the garden, heavenly and the garden. There was God ascending and descending into the place, being with them. The angels coming and going from the garden, this glorious place. But it was Adam and Eve that were to tend to this beauty, to tend to this glory, this housing, this, this um, embodiment of God so that it could go out into the rest of the world and the garden would begin to expand into all the rest of the world. So God gave Adam and Eve a job to tend to the garden so that it remained good and the things would go out into the world. Does that make sense? We understand. Spectacular. Sometimes you're going to ask, so you get it. You get a small nod, but a small nod could be, I kind of get it, but a yes is like, I'm on. Genesis 2, 16 to 7, if you've got a Bible with you. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge and of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat you shall die. So Adam and Eve get told they can eat of any garden. It's all yours. Tend to everything here. Touch everything you want. Go in and use the things that I've given you. Operate in this place except for one tree. Do not touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So then we see Adam and Eve. Obviously, I'm skipping that they've been created and all that that goodness. But, but Adam and Eve in the garden, they see all this stuff. God says, don't trust this tree. And then as we know it, and I've preached about this before, but as we, as we know it from the storybooks and from the, the, um, the stories that have been passed, a snake is there. But the reality is, is that it actually wasn't a snake, which we see in Ezekiel 28. It says the evil one clothed in, in every precious stone, sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, crafted in gold. He was the signet of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. So Ezekiel 28 explains what Satan, the evil one, looked like. He was beautiful. He was a glorious creature, a cherubim, a protector of the holy place. He was enthroned. It says, it says in Ezekiel that he stepped down from his post. He stepped down from the place he was in. He was given to protect the throne, to be flying around the throne, and he comes down in his beauty, in his glory, and he comes into the garden. So Adam and Eve, they, they, see, they see of this, this creature, they see this anointed guardian cherub and they, they would have trusted who he was. They would have trusted the, um, the very essence of him. And he leans in and he tells them a lie. He says, you can have, you can be like God if you eat from this tree that he said that you shouldn't have eaten from. You can be like God. So in that moment, in Genesis 3, I think it's six, six to seven or five to six. Adam and Eve, they mistrusted God. God had said, don't eat from this. You've got everything you'll ever want. And then this being comes along, this beautiful, glorious being of which they thought they could trust, saying the opposite thing to God. And he steps in, he says, okay, well, listen, we'll take of the tree. And he eats of the fruit. And then three, verse seven, she eats of the fruit, rather. Genesis three, seven to 10 says, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. See, the tree that they get told not to eat from is called the knowledge of good and evil. The knowledge of good and evil. What, what was the biggest sin that entered into our world from mankind when we were created to, to perfection was the knowledge, 
was becoming a judge, me deciding who's right and who's wrong. That was what hurt us the most, was that we, we got these lenses put on that said, that's good and that's bad. But what changes is from person to person to person. What I think's good, Shine might think's bad. So who becomes right or wrong? We become our own gods. That's what Satan was saying. You'll be like God. You'll get to decide your own fate. One of the worst things we could have ever done was step into the fact that I get to decide my own fate. Because why would I want to decide my fate in my brokenness and my lostness when I could allow God to decide my fate in his perfection? So what happened in the garden was we ate of a tree which gave us the knowledge to say that I'm right and you're wrong. And if you think about back through all your friendships, relationships, marriages, all the things break down to I'm right, you're wrong. My way's better than yours. See, that's why in the Jewish community and why I believe Jesus chose the Jewish people to come back because of the way they, they understood life. But in the Jewish community, it's better that we keep relationship than I get the checkmate on saying I was right and Sham was wrong. Even though I know I'm right, even though I can prove it, it's better for me to keep relationship with Sham and to hold on to that than win the argument to say I'm right. You know, when it says peacemakers are the sons and daughters of God. Do you know why that is? Because I don't choose to live out of the knowledge of good and evil. I choose to live out of God's perfection and I choose my brother over the fact of being right or wrong. I make peace with him. See, often we have in our lives, we operate in a place where the enemy comes in sparkling, dazzling clothes. He comes in beauty and he comes in wisdom and knowledge in a signet of perfection, as Ezekiel says. It comes and we go, wow, this is phenomenal. can't possibly be right. Look at all the dots that line up. But there's one thing that doesn't line up. What is it? God said, don't do it. Yeah, but I must be a fool to let this go. Look at all this stuff that's happening. Yeah, but God said, don't do it. What happens is we get enticed by the enemy. We get enticed by the beauty caught up in the perfection that God had given the guardian cherub and we say yes. The next thing we see in this verse, which is phenomenal, is that God says, Adam, where are you? But we read in the scriptures that God's omnipresent, right? God's everywhere. Surely he knew pinpoint reaction where Adam was. Behind that tree is Adam. But you see, what happened in the garden, which is so phenomenal, what happened is what, what is the, the absolute perfection for us and the place in which we worship is that in that place, mankind and God were joined together. Mankind and God were joined. Hey, Louis, can you grab me a tea bag, please? Mankind and God were joined together. I'm going to do it. I'm going to use the illustration. I just got so excited. I'm just, he's almost fell out of his seat here. I saw this illustration in Sri Lanka. Cleanse the illustration. So good. Mankind, the Garden of Eden, the beauty that God had created us in, the line between God and his people and the heavenlies in which God resides, where the angels sing. Two separate places. But God resides upwards and downwards, omnipresence with us. But what happened in the garden what Adam and Eve did was that they removed themselves from the inward spiritual connection with God. They, they took themselves and they removed 
themselves. And everything that was there, oh, I'm going to make a mess. It's all right, we've got a new Dyson. We've got a new Dyson. Every, yeah, everything that was in there poured out and was broken. See, Joshua just lent into it. Everything that was in there is poured out. Now there's a disconnection between God and man. So when God steps out and he says, Adam, where are you? It wasn't, Adam, I can't see you and I don't know where you are. It's, Adam, I can't feel you inside me. The spiritual connection you had with me was so strong that I could feel you inside my being. I could feel you with me. But when you ate of that fruit, you became apart from me. So I say, Adam, where are you? Because I don't know where you are. It's not, I'm lost as in I cannot see you. It's Adam, I'm lost because I cannot feel you. You no longer are inside of me. We are no longer one together. Our spirits no longer connect and talk side by side. You've been distant from me. And Adam, in that place, decides, I'm going to be my own judge and I feel naked, so bring me some clothes. See, this is the most most. Um, important understanding we can have of the kingdom is that we were once in God, with God, a being made in His image, created to forward His His picture and who He is into the garden and then into the world as the rivers flowed out into all mankind. In Him, we were to, to operate as Him in a place that He had given us authority, but we lost it because we listened to the beautiful creature who we could we should have trusted, sorry, we shouldn't have trusted, but who looked trustworthy. But we lent in and we walked away from what God asked us to do. I was talking to a friend during the week and he said, what do you think is the most important thing for a Christian to do? And I was like, hmm, it's an interesting question. I could give you a really theological paper. But I came to this. The most important thing as Christians we can do is learn how to hear God's voice and then do exactly what he says. Learn how to hear his voice. Do exactly what he says. If you follow that simple two-step life, I promise your life will be phenomenal. It won't be easy. It'll be extraordinarily difficult. It'll be hard. You'll be paddling uphill at times. But it'll be the most fulfilling, incredible life you'll ever have. Understand how to hear his voice and then do exactly what he says. There's two trees that are paramount in the story. Two trees that are important in the story of, of, of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The two, stories, the two trees, the first one is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the second one is the tree of life. In verse 7, Genesis 3 verse 7, their eyes were both opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together. You see, before they did that, in the beginning, before they did that, it says in Genesis 2.25, And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. When God created Adam and Eve, there was no, um, there was no level of um, ashamedness. I don't know what the other word for that is. Ashamity. Shame. <laughs> I, was, I was quickly running out of words. Ashamed and I did it. There was no level of shame when they were created, right? Adam and Eve created in the glory, created in the fullness of God. There is no shame. There's only beauty. Man, look at us. 
Look at us. We're created in the beautiful image of the Alpha and the, the Omega, the, the created one. Even his angels don't have what he have, we have. Even those who are around his throne don't carry what we have. There's this understanding of glory, this purity, this incredible desire to know who we are. And they eat of the tree and the knowledge, and all of a sudden their eyes were opened and they were both naked and they were ashamed. You see, shame comes when we become our own judge. Shame comes when we listen to our voice and not the voice of the Father. When we listen to the, you're not good enough, you're not this enough, you're not that enough, that's us constantly eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. When I look at Sean because of his, his faults, I'm looking at Sean through the tree of good and evil, not through God, not through the tree of life. I'm looking at him in the awfulness as a judge to say, I'm better. I'm going to go out on a limb here and quote a book that could get me in trouble. But there's uh, whether you like the book or not, whether you think it's awful or not awful, it's got some good things and some bad things. But there's a book called The Shack. And in that book, and I've read it three or four times, and I've found all the bad things that everyone carries on about. And I agree there's some bad stuff in it, but there's some phenomenal stuff in it as well. So I chew a bit of the meat and I spit out the bones. But there's a scene in the book where the, the, the protagonist goes and he meets with, he meets with wisdom. And there's a scene where he's angry because he wants the man who hurt his daughter to be punished. And there's a scene that wisdom gives him, which is a phenomenal understanding of the garden, where he says to the protagonist, you get to decide. You want to be the judge? We'll make you the judge. Here, you wear the judge's hat. He says, you've got two... He, at that point, he has a son and a daughter. And he says, you've got, you've got a son and a daughter. One of them's bad. The other one's good. Which one should go to heaven and which one should go to hell? And there's this phenomenal scene where he gets caught up where he says, but I love both of my kids. They're both incredible. Even though one's got its flaws, I can see the love. I can, I can bring that one out. I can bring that person in. He says, but you wanted to be the judge. So you do it. Condemn one and save the other. And the father, this protagonist, he gets angry and he drops to his knees in the book and he, and he says, I don't want to be the judge. That's too hard. That's too hard. He goes, but that's what the father has to deal with every day is that he has to decide. He has to give you the fullness and the freedom. If you want to come back to him, he wants you to come back. It's the story of, of the, the prodigal son where the, the older brother comes and he says, but, but he shouldn't have the fattened calf. I did the thing, but you're not the judge. Father is. Celebrate him. You see, what happens in church circles and, and in churches all the time is someone will stuff up and then we judge them. Out you go and don't come back. Don't come back here. You can go back to church in some time, but go somewhere else. Because we fail to see somebody in the heart of the Father the way we were designed, the way we were actually created, is that I will love you regardless. I will love you in the fullness of who you are. I will love you in, in everything that you have. See, often we use that verse, I'm telling, you, um, I'm telling you the truth in love. We butchered that verse. We use it all the time. Sean, you're annoying me, so I'm going to give you the truth in love, my brother. Sit down and let me tell you the things that I dislike about you. That's not love. That's selfishness. That's me living in my selfishness to make him fit the way I think he should be. That's me operating out of this, the tree of knowledge of good and evil to say he should look the way I want him to look. Rather, what we do, 
should do is go, bro, I'm going to encourage you into who God's told you to be. I'm going to encourage you into the real person of who you are. Then I start living out of the tree of life. I start living out of what God gave us, who we really are. Sean, you are incredible. You are this. You are that. You're not anything else other than who God says you are. Now I start living from the tree of life and I start encouraging him instead of condemning him. I start building him up and giving him life instead of um, condemning him and giving him death. Two most important trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Why not, God, why not just not put the tree of knowledge in the garden? Like it just would have been so simpler as a design. I just pop that on the outside, just outside. We'll have it, but just outside where we can't get to it. Or put a big fence around it that we can't get in. But you see, what happens in love is that there has to be a freedom to come in and go out. The door has to both open and close. If I lock Jess inside and board up all the windows and say she loves me, but can I leave? Oh, no, that's not love. That's psychosis. And it's the same with God. If God created a world in which we never got to choose whether we want to be with him or be without him, that's not love. And guess what? Even when we come back into his fullness, even as as Christians, when we get saved and born again, we still get the choice. We still get the option. Do we want to live in him or live outside of his plan? Live in his plan or live outside of his plan? How do we know this? Because Deuteronomy 30, 19 says this, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose blessing. I've put before you two trees in the rest of your life, there are two things before you, life and death, blessings and curses, your choice. But you see, often, often, the death and the cursings are sitting just here and the blessings are over there. And this one's easier. This one's easier. All the time, it's easier. I'll take the easy route. I'll take the easy route. I'll take the easy route. God says, if you come over there, if you come to me, There'll be blessings you get to choose, but you're going to have to put a little bit of bit of stride in. You're going to have to you're going to have to step into something. You see, there is a salvation is free; it's a free gift given by God. But you've got to choose to come out of your problem and your mess and come into the salvation of God. There is a giving of us that comes; it's a giving over of the of the the garbage and stepping in to the freedom. So while it is free, we just sometimes can't see what it is that's actually taking place. Jess and I were praying for a, a girl. We, we were ministering to a girl um, a little while ago, and we were praying. There was a I could tell we could tell that there was um, some some demon possession happening. We could see it moving behind her face. We actually spoke to it and it gave us its name. And I researched the name while we were standing there, and I said to her. You have, you have elements of, of another religion in your life. She said, yeah, I do. I said, yeah, it's, it's, and it's, um, you've got elements of, of worship to another God. She said, yeah, I do. I said, you're actually giving yourself to something. She said, yeah, I've taken seances and I, I speak to the dead. This is here on the Gold Coast, praying for this lady. And I said, you have to renounce that stuff before this thing will come out and leave you. And she was tormented. She said, I don't sleep at night. 
things move. I hear voices. Things move in my bedroom. I said, we can fix that for you. God will save you, take you from it. But you have to let go of the garbage you're holding on to. She wouldn't. She said to us, I'm not ready. I don't want to do that. I said, why? She said, because the dead people that I speak to are actually past family members and I want to make sure they're okay. I said, that's Satan lying to you. They're not your family members. She said, I I don't want to stop talking to them. So right there in that place, she had a choice to make. And I hope we get to minister to her again. I don't don't know. Hopefully we'll get to talk to her about it again. But but right there, you get a choice to make. There's two options in front of you, blessings and curses. Which one do you want to choose? I'll take the cursings, thanks. See, that's the difficulty of this, of this Christian walk is that often we step into this place. Often God said there's two trees. He put the garden before us so that we could choose to stay with him or go with something else. But you get the same choice today to stay with him or go with something else in every area of our life, in our finances, in our marriage, in our parenting, in our, our work situations, in this thing and that thing. Do you want to stay with me or do you want to go somewhere else? Do you want to be in the blessings or the curses? So Adam and Eve, we know what they choose. They chose the cursings. They chose the wrong direction. And they may not have known exactly, but God told them they didn't trust him. But in Genesis 3, 22 verse 23, it says this. I'm going to finish in a minute and we're going to do some communion. Because hopefully when I give you this revelation, it will encourage you and communion will set you on fire to actually be who God's asked us to be. Adam and Eve, they take the wrong They take the wrong. Um, the wrong direction and we move down we see Adam and Eve wrestle with God about what's going to happen and we go down to to uh, Genesis 3 verse 22 and it says this then the Lord God said behold the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever therefore God the Lord sorry therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work, work the ground for which he was taken. So Adam and Eve, they take of the fruit, they enter into the, the, the sin of, of the world. And God says in that place, so that, so that they don't eat again from the tree of life. Right there. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take of the tree of life and eat. Why? Because in the garden, Adam and Eve would have been able to eat of the tree, in life, tree of life every day. They were constantly eating from the most beautiful, incredible tree in the garden, the tree of life. That's what sustained them. That's what made them who they were. That's why when Adam comes out, he's able to live much longer in the beginning. And slowly but surely, mankind gets shorter and shorter lifespan because things get further and further and further away from the tree, which the tree of life. But God says, in your fallen state, if you eat from that tree again, you will stay in that fallen state. So it was actually not a condemning, you're out, you're done, get out of my garden, you awful people. He was saving them from staying in a broken place. He was actually saying as a good father, my boy, my daughter, you've done and you've, you've ruined this. I've got a plan to bring us back, but in order to do that plan, you need to go outside. See, I'm not a father but I'm sure that fathers will give me a thumbs up on this. No father, good father, healthy father, enjoys disciplining their children. If you got to choose between discipline and kicking a footy or going fishing and having fun with your kids, which would you take? I'll just leave that joke right where it is, Brando. 
You're going to take, you're going to take the blessing your child every time. No one enjoys, enjoys. I told the story a hundred times about a good friend of mine who he told his boy, don't row, we're at a friend's place, don't row the dog up. And kid rowed the dog up. He said, you got one more chance, don't row the dog up. And as the kid went to row the dog up, this dad was like lightning, zipped across the room and smacked him on the hands. And the kid obviously in fright burst into tears. But the dad wrapped the kid up and with tears in his own eyes said, I told you, don't do that. I was just sitting on the couch, like almost crying myself, like trying to hold it together. But the father said, don't do that. I told you. I I told you. I tried to stop you from doing the wrong thing. You did the wrong thing. And there's a consequence to that. But no father enjoys that. God didn't enjoy removing Adam and Eve from the beauty and the place that he had put them. He didn't enjoy watching them work the land off off their brow. He didn't enjoy the the brothers fighting and trying to... that, That wasn't a joyful thing for him. He did it because he said, you cannot stay, otherwise you'll eat of the garden. So Adam and Eve leave. We know the rest of the story. We see Israel. We see all these things carry on and carry on. But we don't again see mankind eat from the tree of life until we see the hero enter into the story. We see Jesus come. We see Jesus step into the picture. And John 6, 53, 58 says this. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I believe because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on his bread will live forever. Jesus realized and God in the garden realized if you eat from the tree, you'll live forever. And I can't have that in the fallen state. What I need to do is redeem you as a people, bring you back into full righteousness. And then once again, you can eat of my flesh and drink of my blood and you'll be given back into eternal life. When we eat this communion, which we're going to do in a minute, when we step into this, this is the very picture of Adam and Eve eating in the garden of the tree of life. See, this makes so much sense when you go back to the garden, you understand that Jesus is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of everything you'll come into. I am who I said I am. And if you eat of me, you will be given back. Scholars argue, and you can't prove it because there's no real um, verse to prove it other than this right here that we see where Jesus says, eat of me and you'll get eternal life, that in the garden, Jesus was the tree of life. The Father walked in what? The cool of the day, the Ruah, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. We see the Father, we see the Spirit. And I believe we also see the Son in the tree of life that Adam and Eve ate from every day. See, church is not about Sunday morning. Worship is not about Sunday morning. It's about going to Jesus every single day and eating of his flesh and drinking of his blood, taking of who he is and having it come inside and be who we are. That's 
what Jesus is. That's what communion is. That's what worship is. That's what glorifying his name is, is that we don't come in the old wineskin in the law because we have to, to cleanse ourselves. We get to come in the fullness and the grace and eat of him and be a part of who he said we are. There's a song at the moment which we've played here and I preach about it. It's still number one on my playlist and I'm just playing it until it, I, it just won't work on my Spotify anymore. But one of the lyrics is, I, I am because the great I am said I am. And you're like, that is phenomenal. I'm in the car just busting that out, smacking the steering wheel, just giving that my everything. Like one left hand open as I'm driving along like this. Because that is exactly who God said we are. The great I am, the glorious one, the Alpha, the Omega, the the creator of the heavens and the earth, of everything we know. He said that I am in him. He said that I am with him. He said that I am, that I am, that I am. And when I stand in front of the mirror and I see the things I don't like, I don't rehearse those things, but rather I rehearse the things that he says about me. So we get right back to the picture that I explained with Sean. I get an option. Do I, do I declare life over Sean? From the tree of life, do I declare who God says he is and build him up and raise him up? Or do I fall back into the nature of the tree of which we ate in the knowledge and say, he's not this, he's not that, he's not who I think he should be. We get that choice day in and day out. John 14.6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me except through the Father. You see, when Jesus said, come and drink of my body and drink of, eat of my flesh, eat of my body and drink of my flesh, he was in front of thousands of people. The Bible says that he was in front of a crowd, a very big crowd. And guess what happens after he says that? They all walk away. They all walk away. Sometimes to make the right decision, We have to follow God regardless of what those around us think. And the beautiful thing is that the disciples come to him and he says, don't you want to go too? But they have the four, they know where do we go? You're the only one with the words of lies. This thing that you've said makes no sense. It upsets us. It's difficult to process, but we trust you enough to follow you. I trust you enough, Jesus, to follow you. There's times in my life where God's asked me to do something. I'm like, man, that makes no sense. That's going to be so hard. I don't know how to to bring that conversation across. I don't know, but I trust you enough, Lord, to know there's nowhere else for me to go. So I'll go. You guys can distribute the... Do you want to just play? For a long time when we've done communion, since we kind of got that revelation, we have taken a big piece of bread and you will have noticed we put it at the front and we leave it in two whole pieces and we get everybody to rip of the bread (laughs) so when last week I was challenged about the COVID rules I thought okay either I'm going to comply with the rules that we can comply with and not be religious about certain things or we continue to bend the rules and upset people and potentially have the council come in and get cranky at us. So then we wanted to do communion, and I thought, well, I can't put a big roll of bread at the front and have people come and rip it. 
because that's just the same as people serving themselves sausage and steaks. Thus, you have communion delivered with tongs and a glove. And I started to challenge myself to realize to realize that, uh, hey Louis, can you, thanks, to realize what are the things in my life that I've created religiosity around? What are the things in my life that I have decided this is the only way we can do it and because of my knowledge, I'm the right guy to decide what's right and what's wrong. Now look, I'm not saying that everything can go either way. There's things that are 100% right. But the way that I talk about that with somebody changes. The way that I carry myself in that changes. So I rang Trudy, said, Trudes, what do we do? How do we, how do we give communion? And we brainstormed some ideas, all of which make me terribly uncomfortable. Communion with tongs is just upsets me deeply. It does. I oh, know, it doesn't matter, but I like ripping it apart. It's a picture it paints for me. But the reality is, is that what this is in your hands, the thing that's in your hands, this doesn't really matter whether it's multi-grain, white, cut in a tiny little, way too neat and even square. Whether this comes in a little sippy shot glass or a glass of wine at home or, or a big jug in a barrel and we all dip our heads in and it doesn't matter. That stuff doesn't matter. What matters is that now because of who you, what you've chosen to do, because of who you are, that separation where God said, Adam, where are you? Is no longer there. When Adam, when, when God said, Adam, I cannot see you, I cannot, I cannot feel you, you, you're not, you're no longer with me anymore, that has been taken away. Why? Because Jesus died for us and he brought us back into communion with him. This right here, this model, what we're about to do is a statement that says, Jesus, I was lost from you. I was taken from you. I was separated from you and I didn't know what it was like to be in you anymore. But Jesus comes and he says, but I have fixed that. I can take all that back. I can give you back the thing that you had in the garden. And now when we get to step into that place, when we take of this, there's a part of this I've spoken before about a blood covenant to say, Jesus, we'll fight on your behalf. You fight on our behalf. We'll fight on your behalf. But what this does is that when we step back into communion with the Father, when we step back into, we get to be back in that garden that we were originally created to be. And our job goes back to what it was, tend to the garden and expand the garden out into all the worlds. Tend to the garden. We tend to the garden by giving over ourselves and allowing our hearts to align with Him. That's how we tend the garden. We, like, like David said, Search my heart. Take all the crap out that's in my heart. That's tending the garden. Learning about Him, growing into Him, that's tending the garden. And then going out and giving that to the world. So why don't you stand? I'm going to read something. And then Sean is just going to go back into a little bit of worship. And you feel free to take the communion however you want to take it.
always think to myself, which one goes first? I do every time even I come up here, I gotta do a little run through my head of which one goes first. But it doesn't matter. Why? Because this picture is that Jesus came first. Jesus lets us in. You take it however you want. This piece of bread represents his body. That we come and eat and we don't just do it here. We do it tomorrow. We do it the day after. We do it the day after. We go before him and say, Jesus, I'm remembering who you are. This blood represents, sorry, this juice represents the blood that was poured out over us that brought us back into the whole place with him. Kids are the best. I don't want one yet, but they're the best. So I'm just going to read something that I saw that I stumbled across. And then Sean will go back in. So just feel free to, to, to take that. But why don't you just close your eyes and listen to this. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the keeper of creation and the creator of all. He is the architect of the universe and the manager of all times. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. Unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, and never undone. He was bruised and brought healing. He was pierced and eased pain. He was persecuted and brought freedom. He was dead and he brought life. He is risen and He brings power. He reigns and He brings peace. The world can't understand Him. The armies can't defeat Him. The schools can't explain Him. The leaders can't ignore Him. Herod couldn't kill Him. The Pharisees couldn't confuse Him. And the people couldn't hold Him. Nero couldn't crush Him. Hitler couldn't silence Him. The New Age can't replace Him. And Oprah can't explain Him away. He is light, love, longevity and Lord. He is goodness, kindness, gentleness and God. He is holy, righteous, mighty, powerful and pure. His ways are right. His word is eternal. His will unchanging and his mind is on me. He is my redeemer. He is my savior. He is my guide and he is my peace. He's my joy. He's my comfort. He is my Lord and He rules my life. Jesus.